Hey, Barry. Dude, in Project Mayhem, we have no names. Yeah, I know. Forget about all of that for a second. Don't you think what we're doing here is... a bit off? Dude, you know that the first rule of Project Mayhem is that you do not ask questions about Project Mayhem. Okay, okay. I'm not asking questions. I'm just... discussing my feelings with you. And I tell you, something feels weird to me. Ugh, okay. What do you mean, weird? Well, I don't know. We don't have names. We're living in this creepy house. We're doing all kinds of shady things. We're following orders from this nut job, and no one seems to know what this is all for. Yeah, so? What do you mean, yeah, so? Don't you want to know what we're doing here? This has to be part of something bigger or something. Yeah, it is a bit weird now that you mention it. I mean, who's that Marla girl anyways? I don't know what her part is in all this, but I'm sure it's not important. And don't get me started on that kissy scary thing. I don't even want to know what that's all about. But still, well... But what? Dude, free soap. The patchouli lavender stuff is really great. Yeah, the free soap is nice. Forget I said anything. Welcome to the Culture Quest Podcast. Today in Tavern Talk, we'll be talking about our favourite fictional places from TV shows and movies. Then in the main discussion, we'll dive into Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. Then I'll introduce the topic of next episode, Forrest Gump. Hello and welcome to the Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers and today we are taking back control of our lives. With me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Barrio. Hello. And I am Inon. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Today we're discussing Fight Club, a book by Chuck Polonik. I said I'll figure out how to pronounce that name, and I actually practiced saying it. It's a, it's a weird name. Uh, the book came out in 1996, and we've mentioned the movie Fight Club on the podcast before. I know for a fact that we all really like it, so I'm, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts about the book. I'm not going to get too deep into it right now, but I think that the book and the movie on a lot of levels are really similar, but also really different. I really want to know if you feel the same as me. But if you know the Culture Quest, you know that we like to kick things off with a bit of Tavern Talk. Today in Tavern Talk, we're talking about a fun little subject. Here's a question that I asked you guys. If you, if you could go and visit any place from a movie or a show or a video game or a book or whatever you can think of, where would you go? What would you do there? Look, uh, I'm going to go with some two generic ones, but it's sort of like if I don't say it, then uh, <laughs> I don't know. It just, it just has to be said is the, um, the, the, the central perk from Friends and also the it had apartment. Come up, yeah. Um, both of both of those, um, and also from How I Met Your Mother, the the McLarens, and the and also the main apartment where everyone sort of stays at some point, except for Barney. Uh, they sometimes host parties on the roof of the apartment. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. That's where I, I I thought of bringing up season four, episode twenty four, the the leap. That was a good episode where they're like situated up there. Wow, that, that's a. Uh... Uh, a nice pull there, Peter. The, the specific episode, <laughs> the specific episode number, that's wild. You don't need to like crop out five minutes of me going, uh, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or just methodically saying every episode until you research later what it was and then just cut out all 200 other ones. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I think those two are probably the biggest ones just because like so much time is spent there. Yeah. You know, like so many hours are spent there. Out of the four, like out of the, the two sort of hangout spots and then the two apartments i would have to say the thing i would 
probably like the best is probably Central Perk. That one seems the best because, I don't know, McLaren's is sort of like, even though it is very cool, if you take away like the bartender and everything, it is sort of like a normal bar. It's pretty much a normal bar. Yeah, yeah, it is. Whereas like Central Perk yeah. is like, because of it, it being in the 90s, it's it's less, you, you wouldn't, it would look out of place. So, it seemed very much, you'd, you'd, you'd only see yourself there as a person like in the Friends cast, you know, like it would, it seems more situated for, for actually that TV show. Do you think you're you're cool enough to get the, the sofas? Yeah, yeah, if you can actually get the sofas. <laughs> that awkward episode where, like, someone else is on the sofa and then they, like, try to sit somewhere else, but they're like, this is so weird. If you if you get to go there, would you dress up like uh, someone from the 90s, you know, with, like, weird colourful clothes and everything? Would you bleach your hair? No way, I wouldn't become Gumpfer. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. But I would love to go. I know it, like, exists, I'm pretty sure. So, it's not out of the question. Like, after COVID and stuff, I could always go there. Yeah. I'm not in a particular hurry to go there, but it would be very... Like, it would be something I'd have to do in my lifetime. So... Yeah. But yeah, very very cool place, I reckon, that would be. I'll add one wild card in, which is... Um, yeah. It's a bit of a guilty pleasure. But um, it's it's the set of Cougar Town. Hmm. And I say the set, not one location, because... The whole thing is set in a colour And then, like, the houses, like, two of the houses of, like, the main cast are, like, next to each other. And then the other one is across the cul-de-sac. So you could visit, like, all three mm-hmm. houses in, like, one sort of, in what in that 15 minutes because it's just all there. Yeah. I think that would be, like, pretty awesome. And also, it's a very homely kind of place. Like, you see the bathroom, you see the bedrooms and stuff like that. So you kind of... Um, I don't know. Like it just seem it just seems like the ultimate kind of place to hang out and have a wine or something like that. So there's there's a like Abed from Community. There's a there's an episode after he visits there, and everything changes. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought we were gonna say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, also, if you actually watch um, Cougar Town, there's like a scene where he's in the background as well. Yeah, there's like a yeah. bit of crossover. He's actually, there. I think I think Travis. <laughs> I think I think Travis actually goes to. Greendale. I think that's like the point of crossover. Mm, I don't know that character. Uh, Travis is like Jules's son from Cougar Town, so like the main character's son, and then oh, you know Community, so you know Greendale is just like the main school where yeah, com- um, Community is situated. If if you know the um the listeners don't know what it is, but yeah, so they're like in the same universe sort of, but they don't they don't interact that much. But they were like Abed did crossover. So. You're saying you want to go to the set of Cougar Town. So when you mention Central Perk, you mean in the Friends universe, I'm guessing. Like not in the real world and just see the set. You're talking about actually being in the Friends universe. Oh, oh no, no, no. I was talking about the set. If I had to go to a universe, that would be different because then you could have like animated and stuff like that. If I had to go to like the universe, I feel like I would want to go up and down all the floors in the Nakatomi Plaza in Die Hard. <laughs> oh, um, that's cool. <laughs> because that building is based on, I think at the time, it's it was actually the Fox Studios building. And um, like I think the outside of it, it's like a, there's a miniature version. I don't, I don't know if there's still like a, um, a full-size version, but like on the inside, I imagine... All those sets are gone. Although, if we're talking about crossovers, um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine did an episode 
uh, recently. It was in the last couple of seasons, With I think. New Girl. I just saw it today, but from the New Girl perspective. Oh, my <laughs> God. Okay, this is weird. I saw it today for the first time, and it caught me by surprise. It was so funny. <laughs> okay, so Brooklyn Nine-Nine's main character, Jake Peralta, is like a big diehard fan. So, it's like a running joke how much he likes the diehards. And... Um, there's a few episodes where like diehard like things happen. Like they called one like Yippee Kayak or something <laughs> like that instead of Yippee Kaye. Um, anyway, in one of the episodes, they get trapped in sort of like one town. There's no flights out. So they go and visit the plaza. So I do think it actually exists, but yeah. maybe it might look different from the outside. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have all the facts, but it, I think it would change a lot. I don't think it's been like preserved like a museum, but it would be still. It'd be if I could actually go to the into the universe where it is preserved perfectly because it exists in that universe, that would be the coolest because then you could actually see like the weird sort of rainforest thing at the bottom. You could go to floor thirty where you know they're all serving drinks and like the music, and then you could go up to the roof and see you know where they're going to kill twenty five percent of the the hostages. You know, like it would be it'd be a cool. You can crawl in the air ducts. Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely. Maybe the Pokemon world always seems so so colorful and fun. And I always dreamed about having a Pokemon. See, I haven't watched Pokemon, but I imagine it would be like what Americans think it would be like living in Australia. Like, <laughs> just alligator. <laughs> it's perceived to be a bit more dangerous because, like, no one can die or get her or get seriously hurt in in Pokemon world and 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 in Australia everything is coming together That's get what you. I feel like people think like <laughs> we have cities and stuff so there's not just like wild like alligators just or crocodiles we call them like just scurrying about like how you going you know like it's it it's just it's totally less <laughs> less scary than what most people would think and also like because we have so much land it's all spread out so all like all the danger is sort of like danger per square kilometer is is lower than usual or square mile man but um <laughs> you know it, it it's um it's all very tolerable but I feel like Americans think it's just like we're constantly like running from alligators and stuff. So, but yeah, that's what I thought the Pokemon universe would be like because <laughs> you have all those weird names and and all these un- you know unique creatures. So I thought that'd be you'd be constantly like prey for some you know big Pikachon or something. <laughs> Platypus, I choose you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that neither of you have brought up Hogwarts. Oh my god! All right. Well, actually, yeah. I'll tell you. I'll tell you this. Um, when I watched the movie, I I, I imagined Hogwarts in the book to be so much different than the movies. Like it seemed, yeah, seemed so much like more. I, I always thought the grass would be like super green, but it would always be very wet and dense and more like foresty, and hmm. I don't know, darker in some sense also. And it would just, and it'd be very. There'd be so many more fires and sort of. Um, not not wildfires, but like it would be con- it would be so cold that you'd always have to have fires going, and the the halls would be a lot like darker. And there are some dark halls, and 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 there are yeah. some like foresty bits. But I just thought it would be much. I don't know. I I I didn't think there'd be so much space. You know, I thought you could just look out from the tower and see the forest. You know, I I don't know. It just seemed a bit different to me. It's hard to put a th- yeah. finger on it now. I'm actually trying to explain what's different in my head. It definitely seemed a little bit sort of more 
sparse, not as crammed in as, mm. as what I thought it would be. But, but yeah, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but I would rather go to my version of it in the books than go to the actual Oh, sets, definitely. But definitely. In saying that, I'll probably still go to the sets one day. I don't know. Like, I think everyone who read Harry Potter and then saw the movies, like, everyone feels like that way because, like, from the books, you get that Hogwarts is such a big and magical place. And once, you know, it's just narrowed to something that you see in the movie screen, then it becomes smaller, you know. They could never capture the yeah. magic. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say one thing I can put a finger on is, like, the stairs. One, I didn't think they would all be moving. In in the books, it, feel, it felt more like every stair was a bit unique. Some would move, some wouldn't. Yeah. Some would be there on yeah. some days, some wouldn't. But it seemed much more like like a weird elevator system in the movies, and and yeah. also they were like yeah, it felt mechanical. Yeah, it felt very mechanical, and also you could see all like the rooms and all the stairs to other rooms. I thought it would be much more spread out. You know, like you'd have to walk a lot longer to get to places. So, and also the stairs were like this white granite kind of thing. I thought they would be all carpeted and like a weird like a. Like a dark Same here. thing. Totally agree. To get a bit more of the appeal of the Pokemon world, it's not just that it's, you know, bright, colorful, and you have like this unconditional love from these little monsters that kind of grow <laughs> and, and give you purpose. Like most of the people there are really nice. And I don't know if we ever discussed it, but always food in like in anime shows looks so good. So that's definitely <laughs> also an appeal. Yeah, definitely. I think the best uh, anime food is in uh, Dragon Ball Z, I think. Because in Pokemon, they always eat these rice balls, right? No, it's, you know, it's a, it's a very long TV show. I guess they pre- probably ate, like, everything that exists. Probably, yeah. I remember them eating, like, <laughs> you know, pieces of chicken from the bone or... Really? And, and you kind of tend to think, wait, there aren't any chickens in Pokemon world. You're, you're probably just eating one of your friends. Yeah, there are bird... Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> Is this a PG? <laughs> he wouldn't evolve, so we had to eat him. <laughs> I thought of a lot of places I would love to see myself. I tried thinking of a fictional place that I wanted to spend time in, if you know what I mean. Like, I thought about visiting Greendale at first, like the, the community college, uh, from community, obviously, mm. because it would be fun to see the places and the people and stuff like that. But other than, you know, like pointing and things and, and laughing or I don't know, it felt like you, you could spend a few minutes there, but like, that's it. There wouldn't be too much to do there. So with that in mind, I would want to visit the Green Dragon Inn in Bywater, the Shire in Tolkien's Middle Earth. You know, the Shire in Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings universe, it's kind of a, you know, just imagine New Zealand, I guess. And the Green Dragon Inn is kind of, um, you know, just a pub that hobbits go to and uh, they drink and eat there. And I think later in the books, it kind of symbolizes the Green Dragon Inn is a place they, you know, always want to go back to because it's like a piece of home. And... Like, I really can't think of anything that would make me happier than staying at the Green Dragon Inn for a while, spend some of my time resting, hanging out, trying Hobbit food, uh, maybe smoke some of that famous South Farthing leaf, spend some of my time walking around the Shire with a packed second breakfast on my back, and, you know, in the evenings, drinking with Hobbits, singing songs and dancing. It, It just sounds like a lot of fun. Just makes me excited thinking about that, you know? Yeah, that actually does sound Yeah, it does sound exciting. Can I change my answer? (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know. It just I, I'm I'm just imagining the perfect I don't know week to spend there. Uh, just amazing nature to stroll around and uh, take a walk and look for the lost antwives and in the evening maybe meet some elves. It just sounds like the perfect thing I would want to do in a fictional universe. Hmm. And you know what? There must be somewhere around the world which is like that except all the hobbits and elves and magic. But like, imagine spending a week in a, an inn or a tavern. Oh, a tavern. We can do a bunch of tavern talks there. And just <laughs> drinking in the evenings and, and strolling around in the days. Uh, I don't know. Sounds like a perfect vacation. Do a tavern talk in an actual tavern. Yeah. One day, one we'll day have to we do will. That. Yeah. <laughs> so, today we're discussing the book Fight Club by Chuck Polonick. I mentioned before that I, I like reading the books that movies I like are based on. I like to get to know the original version of the story and compare the two versions and think about how the story works in both types of media. And I think that this movie, out of all the, the movie adaptations I've ever come across, this is the most faithful one I know. I just felt like they didn't really cut too much out because the book isn't that long. It's about 150 pages. But the movie's like over two hours. If you compare that to like Harry Potter books where you're looking at more like a 400, 500 page book. Well, actually, still still a long movie, but the book is like three times the size. Yeah. So. They have to cut out a lot. Yeah. The ratio is good. Small book to long movie. Like they, they managed to keep quite yeah. a bit in. So Yeah. So if you've watched the movie, then you'll see a lot of familiar lines and story points in the book. Like, obviously, a lot of movie adaptations are similar and tell similar stories and use lines from the book. But I think that here it's on a different level. Like, reading the book feels like you're reading the movie in a way. And obviously, the book came first. There are plenty of scenes that are almost identical between the book and the movie. And there are, you know, there were a few things that were changed to kind of streamline things a bit, I think. But uh, that is not to say that they're the exact same thing. Like, uh, there are differences between the book and the movie, despite the fact that they're so similar. I'll go over a quick synopsis of the story to remind everyone what it's about. So... Fight Club follows an unnamed protagonist who is also the narrator of the story. We get a glimpse into his life at kind of a low point in his life. You know, he feels empty and bored and frustrated and lonely and he's trying to make himself feel complete by buying nice furniture and clothes and stuff. He has a boring job and he never has money in the bank and uh, he's also insomniac. Uh, he can't sleep and that makes everything feels way off. And at first, he finds that it's easier to deal with everything by going to all kinds of support groups, uh, you know, being among people who've lost hope and have them think that he's dying as well, helps him let go of everything and cry, and he manages to rest and feel better. But then Marla Singer, a major character in the story, starts showing up to those support groups. He knows she's faking being terminally ill because... You know, she's in all of the support groups like him, including testicular cancer. And he knows she knows he's healthy. And when she's around, he can let go and cry. And his insomnia kicks back in and everything is horrible again. And Marla and the protagonist, you know, they talk among themselves and they decide to split the, the support groups uh, so as to not meet each other again. And Marla, in a way, symbolizes a breaking point for the protagonist until... He meets her whenever anything was wrong. He avoided it. He kind of, you know, took it all in. But 
she took away the only thing, the, the only way he could find peace. And so she's the first thing in his life that bothers him to a point that he actually deals with it. And he says he hates her, but I think that unconsciously he wants to be with her. He wants to be like her because she's careless and she takes whatever she wants and she lives the way she wants. And she's what triggers his need for change. And then he meets Tyler Durden. And Tyler is a charismatic, smart, interesting person, and the protagonist ends up living with him because, well, his apartment with all of his precious belongings blows up. The protagonist rings up Tyler on the phone to ask him to move in with him. And in the book, there's a few lines there while he's waiting for Tyler to, to pick up the phone. And he says, uh, deliver me from Swedish furniture, deliver me from clever art. May I never be complete. May I never be uh, content. May I never be perfect. He kind of sees in Tyler an escape from that materialistic world and in a way, an escape from everything that's wrong with his life. Then he and Tyler, they go to a bar, they get into fighting each other, you know, kind of as a mechanism to vent frustration. And one thing leads to another and Fight Club is born. And basically, Fight Club is a meeting place for frustrated people that, you know, they, they come and fight each other again in order to vent their frustration. And it becomes kind of a point of light in their lives. It takes the place of the support groups that the narrator needed in order to let go and sleep. And also, through Fight Club, he discovers that there are plenty of other men who feel frustrated and empty the way he does. Slowly, this club grows, becomes more organized, more chapters are open around the country, and Tyler gives the people who attended kind of homework to do, you know, stuff to do outside the club, like vandalism against corporations or more specific things like starting fights with strangers and losing to kind of, you know, let the people taste what it is to win for a change. Um, Tyler also uses this position in Fight Club for dispersing his anti-consumerism beliefs. And there are people in every level of society that need something like that in their lives, so it doesn't stop growing. And slowly it becomes Project Mayhem, which is basically an organized terrorist group with members embedded in every layers of society. And at a certain point, Mala contacts the protagonist to see why he missed his support group meetings. And then one thing leads to another. She starts an affair with Tyler. And Project Mayhem is still growing, now recruiting members and trains them as soldiers that perform many acts of vandalism and, well, terrorism against corporate America. And the interesting thing is that the way that Project Mayhem is organized is, is really self-sustaining. It is built like a cult in which you're not supposed to ask questions or doubt anything you're doing. And it's organized into smaller independent groups, specific roles. And even if the leader dies or changes his mind or, or anything like that, the groups can still carry out their part and the plan, the big plan can go unbothered. And then, spoilers, the protagonist finds out that Tyler Durden was actually a split personality of his um, that came out whenever he was asleep or whenever he thought he was asleep. Tyler Durden, the, the split personality, was the one who actually had an affair with Marla that organized Fight Club and Project Mayhem. And Tyler, we found out, is what came out of the protagonist as a result of reaching that breaking point earlier. He is everything the protagonist unknowingly wanted to be, but couldn't be. He got the girl, he organized the people to rebel. He basically was the perfect version of the protagonist. And the protagonist, he sees how destructive what he created is, so he's trying to stop everything and bring down Project Mayhem. But it's way too late. It is set up brilliantly in a way that seems unstoppable. And after a big failed terrorist attack, he manages to kind of take control of his mind again. He ends up in a mental institution, but even the people who work in the mental institution are part of Project Mayhem. 
and they keep assuring him that everything is going according to plan, and that's basically the story of the book. What do you guys think of the book? How do you enjoy it? How do you read it? Uh, how long did it take you? Did you read the book or did you use the audiobook? Um, so I just to cover all the properties and just the boring stuff. I, I read the first chapter, um, reading it on my Kindle, but also having the the audible up. I feel like I'm sponsored by Amazon at this point. Anyway. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to see what the audiobook was like because sometimes you get a – I always wanted to read it, but sometimes you do get a fantastic narrator and then you you decide just to go for the narration. Mm. But um, I thought the narrator was pretty good actually. There were a little bit of inconsistencies I thought in terms of um, the from sentence to sentence. Sometimes it f- would feel like they were recorded at different times or maybe if they made a mistake really? they would restart the recording and there would be like a little bit of a difference in the sort of tone, but um, it wasn't like, it wasn't a deal breaker. You could absolutely, if you're the type of person to just listen to audiobooks at night with the lights off, you know, get into the story that way, I think it's totally possible. Uh, But I did go just for the, just for the straight read on this one um, after that first, first chapter. And um I, I read it so quickly as well. I I think I started it late in the week, a Wednesday or Thursday, and um, I messaged um, you and on, and I was because this was even before we had recorded the episode prior to it. Yeah, and I I was already messaging and on saying this is just f- like really fantastic, and I've got to shut myself off. I've got to close my tab because I I just don't <laughs> want to run out of things to say before the episode. Um, so I've been holding a lot in, but, um, I read first few chapters at, um, at home and then I, I went camping and I read, um, I read the rest pretty much camping and I was, I was in the car and it was this really bumpy road. It probably went on for about half an hour, 45 minutes or something of just this really, really bumpy road. So as I was being thrown from from the chair to you know <laughs> the ceiling and stuff, it was I just didn't even take my eyes off the screen because it was just so engaging and so interesting what was going to happen next. <laughs> and even some points, I was like, I shouldn't like this this much. It's concerning how much <laughs> I like this. So um, yeah, I, I blasted through it in probably ninety six hours, I'd say. So. Um, it was a really quick read. I mean, it's a short book as well, so it's not- Very short, yeah. Wasn't a massive effort, but um, in terms of just what I thought about the actual content, I thought it was really well written. It was sort of um, what I would put in the big basket of stream of consciousness writing, where like it's very just, well, I feel like I should just evoke this emotion, so I'll say this kind of word, or like I feel like the character would- lose his train of thought, start again, you know, and it just it just felt very all over the place, but it was sort of just, um, I don't want to say artistic because that might be giving it short shrift, but it, it, it definitely felt like a nice balance of sort of frantic writing, but also keeping it consistent over over the book in terms of um it was frantic but you sort of got into the thought pattern of the character so uh, when you're starting to read it like he would repeat things like mantras and he would get distracted by like quoting things he constantly thinks about 
but then you'd get used to it and you'd smile like, oh, of course he'd say that, you know. So, you really do get used to the narrator. And, um, yeah, there were lots of, like, nice, just small, small details. Like, um, as I got probably halfway through the book, because I'd already seen the movie a few years prior. I think I put it in my top five. So, um, I, I knew that the narrator was Tyler Durden, but it was still... I still like moment to moment, I still separated them because it was written so well that I really still believe that there were different characters. Um, that's quite incredible when you already know the, when you yeah. already know the twist. And the last thing I'll say is like the, I, I, I didn't even realize the narrator didn't give us a name. Like I was like, wait a second, what's the narrator's name? It's just narrator. No name, yeah. And that should have been, a, that should be a clue to people that haven't actually um, encountered the, the twist at the end, but yeah, um, yeah, it's supposed to be like the fact that he doesn't have a name. Then you can put everyone instead of his place. You know, it can be any one of us. Yeah, it's interesting. It's well written to the fact that you never really question why you don't have a name. Like it's just they pass over it so smoothly. You know, yeah, it didn't trip any wires for me. And um, and then the last thing is like, like there's quite a few elements that are, that were quite philosophically uh, rich, you could say. But one of them was just. At the start, they're very much rebelling against materialism, saying how, you know, it's just about... Um, I think they had this line where they were talking about um, men who'd sort of go from family to family, setting up franchises. Yeah. You know, how you're just a number under capitalism, like you don't really have any sort of personal, you know... Um, connection with anyone but then you get into project mayhem where everyone's a number everyone's a cog in machine you don't have a name yeah. in project mayhem and tyler was setting up franchises so it sort of comes like full circle where it's exactly the same monster kind of yeah it's yeah you get to the same monster but you have to you get out of it and then you're back in it so yeah. i think that's that's quite interesting and also just um this is one of those books, I guess this is a stream of consciousness I'm giving you now, but this is one <laughs> of those books that I find is in this weird category of indulging in these thoughts that you're not really meant to have, you know? It's kind of like people don't really make TV shows and movies often that are so um, going into this sort of subconscious desires sort of thing, like rebelling against the nine to five job. And this one is a a bit of an exception because this one actually became a movie, but I find um, books like this and a lot of Chuck Palahniuk's books. Is Palahniuk. That, is, I think I've said it right. Palahniuk. Yeah. A lot of his books are very much the same and I've listened to interviews with him and he is a, he's really into that dark sort of yeah. stuff and I'm really not into that dark kind of stuff. That's not <laughs> me, but I feel like this one's almost like a gate, gateway drug into that world like um for a person that doesn't really like that stuff this was like sort of tame enough to pull me in but still rich enough in detail to give a good representation of what sort of that world is like and um i think if i think if you're not sure if you like all those really dark spooky books then this one might be a really good one to start with so yeah that's basically my thoughts Barry, tell us about uh, your experience. So here we had about three weeks to prepare because we, originally we had two <laughs> and then I couldn't get to it um, on, on the second week. 
I, I sat down and started reading it. And at first, I thought I got like the wrong book because, and uh, you know, I also wanted to ask you too, didn't the way it was written at the beginning made you feel that you might get something like wrong or, or maybe a corrupted file on your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, totally it, get what you mean. Like it starts at the end and you feel like, uh, did I like accidentally misclick or something and it's gone to the end of the book? Yeah, I, 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 I kind of get that. Yeah. Yeah. The first sentence is Tyler gets me a job as a waiter, which feels like the midpoint of the book. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but it's, it's not only that, like even, even throughout the actual chapter, it's kind of like jumping from thought to thought. And I needed to kind of rush things because I couldn't find enough time to, to sit and, and, and read. So I also started like reading together with the, with the audiobook and then uh, left for the audiobook alone. And, and, yeah. I, and only when I finished it, I, I came back and, and read again the, you know, like the three last chapters. And I got to say, like the first time I came across Fight Club was around... 16 i guess which on uh tuesday is going to be 16 years ago um, <laughs> literally half of your life ago <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is kind of crazy um and the experience of watching it and kind of seeing this whole revelation and uh, what the movie is saying about uh, materialism and life and, and everything and i i remember it caught me so so in such a powerful ways and sitting 16 years after and, and reading it and reprocessing it. And the amazing thing is that I already got used that when I go back to, you know, things that I liked <laughs> as a younger person, like kind of lose their charm. But this one was just like full on. It was amazing. And once I got into this whole streamline of thoughts kind of writing, it really is a really special experience. The story is great, and, and I think that exactly like Peter said, even, even when you're very aware of, of what's going to happen, like the main twist, it's, it doesn't lose its charm. It's Not still very, very interesting, very special. And I think like there are a couple of concepts there that keep giving chills to everyone. Like we go to a support group when you don't have any disease, just... You know, so you'll feel that people listen to you and and the whole concept of, of crying with a stranger in order to get some sort of relief and this feel that everything that sometimes you're so detached, you know, because you can't sleep or for any other reason and yeah. um, and everything feels like a copy of a copy of a copy. And like this whole book is filled with this pearls of thought. I enjoyed it so much. And I got to say that there were a couple of things that were really nice to kind of go a bit more deep into, like Marla's story, even though it's yeah. not like a, a very detailed one, but it's still something that, that's interesting. Or the whole thing with, uh, you know, using her, her mother's uh, fat, fat <laughs> <laughs> that she sends her over, over, over mail. Yeah, that um, was funny. Weird. <laughs> yeah, it was. And I got to say that like immediately after I finished the book, which was last night, I started watching the movie and uh, it's really fun. Like I think because of what we, we said at the beginning that the movie really uh, holds up to the book. It's, it's really loyal and, and it's fun. It's kind of like an interpretation, and, but, but a very 
a very loyal one, it doesn't lose the important the important stuff, even though it kind of changes yeah. some of the corners. I wanted to ask you, I, I'm not sure if that's true, but like in the book, like are Marla and Chloe the only women that are mentioned by name? Probably, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, and, and huh. I, I understood that like towards the end of the book that this is like a very guy story. No, not only because it's it's you know, filled with the testosterone, but also like part of, part of what the story is trying to say. It's kind of like, we're all lost boys. We're lacking a purpose. We're the middle children of history. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, Fight Club is a club for men, you know, that feel emasculated. They, like, they compare Fight Club to going to uh, support groups. And what do you do in support groups? You hug and cry like a girl. So, yeah, it's it's a very man story, <laughs> very manly kind of thing. So it makes sense yeah. that there aren't too many ladies um, mentioned in the book. You know, and it's and it starts with the remaining men together. Exactly. Support group. Yeah. So all in all, I I found the experience experience really, really interesting and really fun, and and there were some really intense parts that you know got got you clenching. The ending was, I gotta say, different than what I thought it would be, and it's very different from the movie. But yeah, all in all, really good experience. Like I said, I was really amazed at how similar the book and the movie are. Um, you said it as well. It's probably the most faithful adaptation of a book that I've ever seen. And I usually do prefer adaptations that are faithful. Like, I, I usually don't like it when a director takes a bunch of creative freedom and changes everything, because it often feels like they've missed the point of the book. And I think they've done an amazing job making a movie from this book. But because, you know, the book and the movie are so similar, when I was reading the book, I always had scenes from the movie, like the, the images from the movie and faces of Ed Norton and Brad Pitt in my head, which is not something that I wanted. You know, the best experience with the book, I think, is when your imagination runs free and does its thing. So after a couple of chapters, I took a short break and flipped kind of a mental switch in my mind. And from that point on, I managed to kind of separate the book from the movie and my imagination took over. And I think that this, like both of you have said, it's a great, great book. It's short and to the point, you know, it's really easy to read, but it doesn't feel unsophisticated. It doesn't feel cheap. And the writing was amazing. There were scenes that were exciting and fun and others that were really <laughs> disgusting and sickening. And, and I think that there's so many ideas and themes and criticisms about a lot of big things that are relevant to all of us in such a short book. And, and it amazes me. Like, I think that this book manages to touch so much and it makes it seem so easy and it makes it feel like everything that's wrong with our society is so obvious and how did we not notice it and, and I want to get up and do something about it right now and it, it all really flows so well. Like, I could have read this book in two or three sittings. It's really short and it's really easy. So I, I literally, I slowed myself down to, to enjoy it more, to have more time with it. Did you have like a favorite bit in the book, a favorite part in the book? I don't know if I had a favorite part, actually. I'll, I'll bring up one of mine, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, sure. There was a, a bit in the book that I really, really liked that kind of, it's, it's a short part, but it exemplifies how good the writing is. And that's the part where the narrator murders a person in the kind of 
Agatha Christie type party. Do you remember that part? Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. Towards the end. Yeah, right near the end. Yeah, there's a, I think a bunch of rich people go to this dinner party and it's kind of a coordinated game. You know, the people pretend to be murdered one by one and the rest have to figure out who's the murderer or something, which sounds fun. But mm. uh, like this time, the narrator actually kills someone. You know, the, that person's wife think it's part of the game and everyone's around them are drinking and laughing. And, you know, it describes how she's touching the pool of blood thinking it's fake blood and how the blood is covering her dress mm. and everyone's laughing. And ooh, it, it was sickening to read this bit. Like, I remember I felt like I have to put the book down, but I kind of powered through this. It was really, really fun. And it's, I don't know, like a few paragraphs. It's not a long bit, but I really loved it. And of course, the person that Tyler kills in that scene is is this government official and he's making a list of Fight Club franchises and, you know, he poses a, f- a threat to Project Mayhem. So Tyler kills him. And somehow Marla sees Tyler or the narrator kill that man. And for the first time, she sees this part of the narrator's life. And now she's a threat to Project Mayhem and she needs to die. And, you know, there was a point in the movie where Project Mayhem... I- I'm going to compare the book to the movie often because, I don't know, it's just so easy... In the movie, there was a point where, uh, you know, Project Mayhem is after Marla because she's a threat to the whole thing. But I never exactly got why she's a huge problem in the movie. But here, the, the, it made a lot more sense. Uh, I think a, a lot of things made a lot more sense in the book. So I really, really love this bit in the book. I thought maybe my one of my favorites was, um, I like, there was a few different themes. Like, the themes I, I sort of, like, hit me the most was... Uh, the first one was definitely using the um, originally the support groups, but then it went on to the fight club to sort of give yourself like this crazy emotional experience. So then when you go back to your job, all the things in your job that should cause you stress or should give you anxiety or even just should like really alert you. Like if a client's angry or something, you should really be like, oh, wow, I should fix this. But the support groups kind of numbed him and he became numbed sort of like anything that happened in his job. So when his boss was yelling at him, he just, he had so much pain and just in his face from <laughs> the fight club or, or just from crying the night before in his support group that like, it, he was like a Buddhist in some sense. Like he was like waterproof, you know, like it, and, and they were just spraying water <laughs> on him. Like it just, it just went away straight away. So that was one of the main kind of themes I got from it. But the scene I liked a lot from that is the scene when he's he's talking to his boss when his boss finds the printout of the Fight Club rules. And the boss is like, hey, um, you know, what's this? This is a bit, you know, disturbing. And then he goes on about like the weight of guns and like how you shouldn't mess with this stuff because the guy who printed it might be a maniac and and you shouldn't mess around with this kind of stuff. You should probably just put it back where you came from. Don't um, don't ask me. Or maybe a- you shouldn't bring any tra- any piece of trash you find. <laughs> yeah, don't bring every piece of trash you find to me. And I just thought that was just hilarious. That was just the moment where you just. I don't know. It's like a really, it's a bit of a superpower almost of like just the guy who just doesn't care, yeah. you know? Yeah, things that seemed important last week don't matter anymore. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting thing. But just to go on, like that was the first theme I found. Like I'm just going off the top of my head here. But 
um, the first one is definitely like the numbing sensation of using these sort of like hyper emotional kind of activities. And then the second one I would say would be like the thing that, um, um, not Tyler, sorry, um, Chuck um, goes on about a lot in this book, which I didn't get when I first read it, but I've sort of been thinking about it more, is the the idea of your second father as a god almost. Like Chuck says that every every guy has a father, obviously, but you need like a second father that's going to teach you how to live. And that could be your biological father, but it's often not. It's often like a mentor or it's often a boss or it's or it's or it's like a um someone you're aspiring to meet or something like that and in this one it's obviously to the narrator it's obviously the idea of Tyler Durden who's filling that spot yeah right. um yeah so that that was quite an interesting thing that um the the author pressed on about and then the last one i would say would just be about the um the recurrence of these sort of um ideologies so like you you the whole quest of the narrate or okay not the whole quest because there was the mala thing but one of the ideas of of the book was to get away from this materialism ikea furniture idea and into sort of like a more um personalized um theme of just um self-discovery of like learning what your limits are and actually you know, um, you know, not not having this thing where you constantly don't know who you are in society. With a fight club, you know, and you're actually making contact with the side of people's faces. <laughs> it's 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 all out there in the open. You know, you're doing something physical. You're getting the response straight away. I feel like that slowly evolved straight back into another form of like authoritarian, like dictatorship, where Tyler was the intelligent designer of this like massive machine and then people became cogs again so they became there were cogs they came out of it they became like almost self-actualized and then they just became yeah. cogs again so i feel like this recurrence theme is is quite a big one and probably quite a difficult one to understand how that happened but i still think it's quite important and um the thing i thought was quite um interesting about the recurrence is that i think you're not totally meant to notice beforehand. Like, you're you're kind of only meant to notice as it's too late. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's too late to stop it now. Yeah. As the narrator finds out too late, right? Even even when they're talking about Tyler setting up franchises. It doesn't seem weird. Even when they say that line, you don't really see the idiosyncratic nature of it until later. And I think that's... That's true for the narrator and obviously the reader. So it all happens under our noses, kind of. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I watched the movie when I was younger, I always thought that the it had a good ending. You know, because like I was all in on Tyler's ideology and I was rooting for Project Mayhem and the fact that they kind of pulled off that bombing in the end of the movie was a success story to me. But I didn't notice the mm. all, all the recurrent things that you just mentioned. Like now I realize, I bet it was clear. To everyone, but at the starting of the story, we see a world in which regular people in the society are all copies of each other, and they all feel disconnected and lonely, and they're all serving someone else, and they're all kind of dehumanized. And in the end, the people in Project Mayhem end up serving Tyler, all shave their heads and lose their names, and become technically copies of each other, and they are, in a way, dehumanized. And the story doesn't go from bad to good, 
it, it, like I used to think, it goes from bad to a similar, but a bit different bad. Like it's the same monster. Mm. And it's a pessimistic, angry, and annoying. It's nihilistic. It's great, great, I think. And I don't know. I didn't notice it before. I noticed it now. And it, it just changed the whole way I saw the story. I viewed the book. Yeah, it's, it's so nihilistic that it does like this 360 just yeah. to mess with just you. Just to mess with you, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe because, because the book can tell a more detailed story or that the movie shows things in a more subtle way sometimes. Or, or maybe just because I'm older now, I felt that the book compared to the movie, made its philosophy and ideas much clearer. You know, mm. like when I, I grew up watching the movie, I watched it a few times when, I, I don't know, when I was in my teens and my early 20s, and I always felt that something was missing or going over my head, but the book felt much more coherent to me. Did you guys feel that way? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I can very, very much uh, resonate with that. There are a couple of, of other like side stories that, that help emphasize like the, the big picture. Yeah. That's and the true. movie, the movie, like uh, even though it's a bit over two hours, it runs really fast. There are a lot of things happening, and like I think it's barely, you know, twenty twenty minutes before Red Norton is is living with Tyler, yeah. and that kind of I don't know. It, it's it it's a bit rushed. A bit, yeah. Something I felt I did much better in the book was. Um, the design of Project Mayhem. So with Project Mayhem, it has a lot of similarities to the Manhattan Project. So the Manhattan Project, um, even today we're still learning details, but it, it's um, there was only a very small handful of people that actually knew what the goal was, right? There were people that knew this, but there weren't many. And a lot of the people, when they were pulling levers and they were like coordinating even other people to do things, they didn't even know mm. what the product was. They didn't know what they were building. And it just goes to show you that in, in some way, we're all sort of like this. Like no one really knows how the economy works, but we're all sort of participating in it, you know? Yeah. And it, it, it's just a very deep sort of idea that like you can live a life and not even understand what you're really doing you know like you can just be you could just be the guy that transports one metal from one room into like a hot stove or something like that and then you pass it on to the next person you have no <laughs> idea that could be part of an aircraft that could be yeah. part of a bomb you could be making a speaker system that could absolutely be anything and if you break things down to such an atomic level where so many, where people are just doing one part of like a greater, um, greater process, and they're just doing that part repeatedly, they could come in, do eight hours of it, go home, and then not even understand what they actually were doing. So, I think that's a big idea yeah. in the book that was quite, which was emphasised quite clearly, but in the movie, it, it felt more. It, it wasn't totally explicit that they didn't really know. Like They showed a simplified yeah, version of that idea. They did, yeah. But, they, I mean, like, the idea I got from the movie was that you could take one person out and everything would still function, which was true for the book as well. But, like, the, the thing I think the book said really clearly, really well, it was just how someone can just be operating Project Mayhem and really not know what they're doing, yeah. you know? 
it it felt like almost you become a bit of a robot. Yeah, I think that in the book they have a a more detailed view of how Project Mayhem is divided into groups. Like I think they tell you a bit about each group and everything, mm. which I thought was interesting. Mm. My favorite part was definitely uh, the drive the with the mechanic. Oh yeah, that scene uh, I remembered it so well from the movie, and it was in my opinion much much better that was good in the book yeah it was better yeah, in the I book i totally agree uh, because i i could real by the way i could like he described the mechanic very well like i i have i also now like i have a mental image of how that mechanic look you know tall thin and kind of looks like a telephone pole like <laughs> a, with his uh, um skinny shoulders and such and when they start to drive and and he he wants to impress the narrator so bad and and he uses tyler words and i know it's it's so deep and the thing that got me there is that the narrator kind of hits rock bottom like he says that he'll never be as good as tyler he'll never be half of it he's just a stupid weak man and he wants to die and and when the mechanic tries to to move the car out of the lane into the gutter try uh, maybe i didn't understand it correctly but that's how i imagined it he he kind of uh, uh takes the wheel and tries to move back into traffic because he wants to die mm. and that's kind that i don't know that was a very powerful scene his he was so in in, in the bottom how it all ends when uh, he hits his head and he thinks there's blood but it's the cake that the mechanic yeah. made him and they just keep on driving i think in in the fields or something and you know there's stars above and and there's this because the mechanic used uh special kind of candles that don't go out and it's <laughs> kind of burning around them it it ended kind of kind of weird but very powerful yeah it, it was one example of a scene that kind of was stronger in the book than it was in the movie i think which leads me again to talking about the ending of the book because there was difference in the in the endings between the movie and the book and i think one of them was just worked a little bit better so i'll i'll, I'll give a quick uh recap of the the endings in, in the movie the project mayhem blows up a bunch of credit card companies buildings Th- their idea was to re- erase all the records and the you know create mayhem and the narrator and marla stand together and watch everything blows up and we are led to believe that the building they're in also explodes and you know Tyler Durden becomes this immortal martyr but in the book the idea is to topple the building onto a national museum to destroy a chunk of the past as a symbol of change the plan fails and the explosives don't go off and the protagonist lives on and basically he goes to a mental institution like we mentioned earlier so do you guys have a, a preference between the two endings and uh, also like the suicide attempt like it's mer- metaphorical in some sense but I still don't completely understand it. You same here. Good. <laughs> okay, good. We're on the same page. In that case, I would say I prefer the movie's ending. Not not by a lot. I don't know. It kind of hit a little bit better like just the the scene even before like the very end, just the scene of the how do I phrase it? The ball cutting <laughs> attempt scene. Um 
like in the book it was on like the bus right whereas yeah. in the movie it was in the police station exactly. i thought the police station was just cooler because it just seemed like a more hostile environment like he was all safe with the police and then oh no you're not they're gonna cut your balls off anyway um <laughs> just shows how deep project mayhem gets yeah this in the in the building i thought that was interesting use of cin- cinematography with the um security cameras i don't know what it was about the security cameras but the security cameras just put it in stark contrast yeah like even though you've already seen those scenes where he's like hitting himself in the face something about seeing it on the screen in a security cam video just makes it seem so real so obvious Mm. without all the cinematic details it feels almost like a record of evidence or something and yeah a bit interesting some of the physics there how he's get like dragging himself i thought that was a good scene and then obviously the very like the very end is just amazing you know when he's talking yeah. to marla and then the song comes on so yeah i i do prefer the movie i th- i think the movie is better where is my mind <laughs> i'd go with the book i think what always bothered me with the movie it also felt kind of kind of rush it's very weird how the narrator kills Tyler. Mm. Like, <laughs> there was a literal fight club where he got punched all over the place. And when he shoots his chick off, then it blows Tyler's head. I, I don't know. It never, never added up. Really? Like, because it, he takes matters in his own hands again. He doesn't need Tyler anymore. I, I thought it worked. Yeah. I think okay, I look that... at it like he didn't actually shoot himself. It was like... Maybe he did. I don't know. Because in the movie, at least, Marla's like, what happened to your face? And he's like, it's all right. (laughs) I'm like, what the hell? Like, that is so weird. But, like, I always thought up until that point, oh, it's like a metaphor. Like, he was holding a gun maybe, but, like, he shot the idea of Tyler Durden and then he just becomes himself again. But then, obviously, like, what what happened to his face? So, I I have no idea. Yeah, actually... That does make some sense. When he doesn't need Tyler anymore, then like Tyler, it's it's less of the shot. It's more of the actual decision. You know, it's again yeah, like a exactly. symbol, and that can also maybe kind of adds up because afterwards, when when Marla and the other space monkeys arrive, then he kind of blows them off in a very dominant kind of way, kind of like Tyler would do. Yeah, it's like him and Tyler mm. merge. Yeah, but. I, I don't know the, the the character arc. I guess I I didn't really understood it because they were fight, fighting in the parking lot and obviously like nothing nothing really special happened. Like he didn't hear Marla or anything. And I found the book a bit better because he understood that he would never get rid of Tyler because Tyler is him and he, he lost control over it. And I also kind of like the book because Tyler got created when um, when he first saw Marla. Like apparently, like <laughs> underneath it all, it's pretty much a, lo- a very weird love story, right? He sees Marla for the first time. He can't stop thinking about her. He doesn't know how to approach her. her and he actually um, has been in love with her the whole time because Tyler is, and and that's kind of cute because when he is about to shoot himself, then Marla... Okay, this is also like a weird part in the book, right? That Marla and all the people from the from all the support group arrived. That was weird, yeah. Like, that kind of made me feel maybe it's it's a dream. Yeah. Because that was, like, really out of context. That's a good point. 
Yeah. But what I really like that pretty much from the from the first couple of fights he gets this hole in his cheek, right? And this hole is kind of connecting with his mouth on, on when he goes on the last time he goes to fight club and he signs for all 50 fights and they kind of destroy him. And then he shoots off his other cheek and then he's talking about being in heaven and getting all these meds and talking with God and, and seeing all the angels. And, and he says that he's got like a smile from, from side to side, like this demon or... Uh, <laughs> at this point, by the way, I thought, man, this would be a great Joker origin story. <laughs> like if Fight Club was actually how the Joker was created. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds less sophisticated, but I think it, it, it aligned a bit better with, with what I felt the book had to say. Like it's very weird to have this very nihilistic story and have it end with this happy American ended ending I where totally he beats agree. the bad guys. The bad guy he gets the girl, and and they see like I don't know all the credit cards building collapse. And I I I liked in the book that nothing really got resolved. You know, it's like he's saying to God, <laughs> to to his doctor obviously, that uh, people are not special unique snowflakes and they're not walking pieces of crap they just are and that's kind of like it ends you know he does a couple of things and and they stay in course and and it leaves you with this open ending that you're not entirely sure what's what's going to happen i i I like that yeah I, i totally agree that the movie kind of has in a way a happy ending because they managed to blow the buildings up and he manages to solve things with marla a bit like you know you only get to see them hold hands but that's enough and i i know in the book there were a few different things that made it darker and more nihilistic that i really liked like you get to see that even without a leader to guide them or a martyr to fight in in his name project mayhem lives on which is hinted at the movie but i loved actually seeing it and also the fact that Tyler's specific plan at that point failed, he didn't get to blow the buildings, make it feel more cynical and pessimistic. And he doesn't resolve things with Marla in the book, you know, in the movie. As I said, it's it's kind of hinted that he got rid of Tyler and he can now be open with Marla, even though they may, may die in a few seconds. But there's something of a good ending there, which I think in the book, he shoots himself in the head and he goes to the mental hospital and she's not around anymore. I think it's a better ending, all in all. It was it was weird that that the building didn't blow up in the book because like everything they do works except the biggest project that they have because they don't use the right uh, material for Recipe the mixture a, yeah. because it never works. It kind of makes you think maybe it was on purpose. Maybe it's maybe Tyler did to the narrator what he did to the madam when you know when he put a note between her perfume hmm. bottles saying that. Uh, one of them is, is with peace, and she just flipped around. Here's my last take on the on the ending. Mm. What if Tyler Durden is just a tumor, like just a brain tumor, and when he shoots himself, it like dislodges or shoots through the tumor or something, and it's like biologically, it's sort of so. Like obviously, he's got a hole in his head, yeah. but it's like <laughs> there's something actually biological that is gone about Tyler. It definitely, because it got worse and worse over time, and then it sort of just dissipated, like, at the end. But So, that's kind of the idea behind it, but 
I don't know. It's interesting. I, I don't think I've ever heard it. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's an idea there. I don't think that answering this question, like if it is biological or not, if it is a tumor or not, changes the story at all. Oh, no, no. Yeah. no it does. Def- definitely doesn't. So, But yeah, it's an interesting theory. All in all, I feel like the story works better as a book. I think the movie adaptation is amazing. Don't get me wrong. But I think that the story is better suited to be a book. Like, everything about the story made more sense to me in the book, you know? And and also, mm. I felt that a, a lot in the story works better when you imagine it in a way that, you know, works for you. Like, yeah. after reading the book, I watched the movie. And maybe it was because I read a book or maybe it was because a lot of time has passed since I last watched the movie. But I, I think that... While Brad Pitt is great in the movie, Tyler's character seemed a lot more comical and cartoonish to me after reading the book, which didn't work as well. Like, suddenly, it didn't seem charismatic and strong. It felt funny to me, and it didn't work for me. I don't know. Also, I felt like they added a few lines here and there in the movie that, you know, maybe they added some movie drama that weren't necessary. Like, near the end, when the narrator puts Marla on the bus, and she turns and says... You're the worst thing that ever happened to me. I don't remember that that line was in the book and it felt a bit out of place to me. I don't know. When I watched the movie after I read the book, it just felt like a diluted version of the same story, if you know what I mean. Like all the main points were there mm. and it had the, a very similar feeling, but everything was a bit weaker, a bit paler, like it was a copy of a copy of a copy of the story. <laughs> what, what, yeah. Very good. Uh, thank you. Thank you for laughing at that. What do you guys think? <laughs> or uh, I, I guess my question is, do you like the book better or, or the movie? All right. Straight up. Um, I like the book better. And the I, I put Fight Club in my top five movies list. So I really gave the book almost no hope of being better than the movie. <laughs> but I think it's just so engaging. Such a good length. And if you had to pick one, like if, if for some weird reason you had $5 and the book was $5 and the movie was $5 and you could just own one forever and you can and you just reread it or rewatch it, I'm going with the book every time because the book is just so much more like it one, it's just, it just takes more time to get through. So that's just better. If, if you like it, then I don't know in, in terms of quantity, it's better, Yeah. but also in terms of quality, I feel feel like you're getting you're getting like the purest form of the drug you know like, I like totally you're getting agree. chucks writing yeah. in like the purest form whereas the movie they take lines from the book but you're getting like the streamlined version and i i love chucks writing i just think it i just think it's really um really thought through and it's really succinct but it's also kind of quite evocative like yeah i don't know it's like grabbing things out of the air and it's always just putting it in and it feels feels almost like improvisational you know yeah. that's that's how i feel like the um the writing is and I, I i love the writing so yeah i'm going with the book every time what about you Barrow? same same and it's hard to realization because i really love the movie yeah i totally agree mm. totally agree it's a great movie like but I, it's just a better version i think um i'm really happy we've done this book like i really love that dark anarchistic nihilistic feel that this book has uh it's nice to dip into something that has a bit of a negative type feel every once in a while and i've said it a few times by now i love reading books that popular movies are based on and i think that after this experience you know reading the book reading about it watching the movie and everything 
Uh, I like the book more than I like the movie. I think we've all agreed on that. I feel like it works better. I feel like everything is more believable and convincing in my imagination than it is in the b- movie. And that being said, I still applaud the movie adaptation for being so faithful and for a lot of great choices they made in translating things from the book to the movie. And even though you did try to like get rid of Brad Pitt and Edward Norton from your head when you're trying to imagine it, they were really good casting as well. Perfect. Yeah. Totally. I think they were perfect. Like I couldn't I couldn't imagine it with with anyone else. Yeah, so the book for me is um pretty much just a slam dunk. Like I would recommend it to pretty much every guy. Like a, it is a guy book. I think it's like aimed at men as well. It wasn't just received better by guys. I, it, it is very much written by a guy for guys, you know. And um I totally endorse this book. Like it, it, it's um, it's just like you don't get fiction books so short yet, like pull you into the world so deeply. Like like this book, and especially with like so many deep themes that somehow um don't all run in unison, but still come together so well. You know, and um, I think that's just such a such a testament to the writing quality of the I book. I totally agree. And yeah, and it's always nice to read a book and have a movie there at the end. Like, I think that's the best way that mm. I'd recommend consuming it is to, um, well, weird choice of words, but um, <laughs> I would definitely read the book and then get to the end and then watch the movie. I think that's like the the coolest way to do it. But yeah, like I, I, I had so much fun and there's so many... Um, we didn't really get, um, go through them, but there's so many good quotes there as well, which you um, so should many. feel at liberty to highlight. Every other line. Yeah, every other line is a good quote. So, can I can I read one? Sure, quote? sure. Okay. Um, let me... Um, okay. Generations have been working in jobs they hate just so they can buy what they don't really need. We don't have a great war in our generation or a great depression, but we do. We have a great war of the spirit. We have a great revolution against the culture. The Great Depression is our lives. We have a spiritual depression. That's just fantastic yeah, writing. Yeah, totally agree. And I won't read a quote now because yours was much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yours was um, recycling and speed limits are bullshit, Tyler said. They're like someone who quits smoking on their deathbed. <laughs> that is pretty good, yeah. though. <laughs> I tried to pick a trash quote. No, but that was there, there's so many good quotes here. It's excellent. It really brings a lot of interesting thoughts. And I think, and, and that's probably like the biggest compliment that I think uh, a creation can get, that it sticks with you even when, when you're done with it. And, and I can say that it's definitely, like I'm, I'm um, like it's definitely, I feel it with me and it's going to be with me for, for the next couple of days. Like it's it's an intense experience and it touches you, right? And there there aren't a lot of of movies or books that that can do that. And you said earlier and, and I totally agree, it never gets old. Like I can always like ten years from now, twenty years from now, I'll always be ready to read this book again. Yeah. This is a twenty five year old book. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's crazy. Feel, that feels so weird to say. Yeah, it, it's crazy to think that it's 25 years old. It's it's still yeah. so relevant. And I guess, you know, as long as we live in a capitalistic society, then it will it would be re- it will be relevant. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Really great work. I think that both the movie and the book really complement each other. So definitely recommend 
both of them. All in all, great experience. Cool. So, as we do at the end of each step of our quest, we're going to take a vote that will decide whether or not Chuck Polonick's Fight Club is a place in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide. We will each have a chance to persuade each other and state our case for or against Fight Club's induction to the Quag, and then we will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke of the mustache for nay. And the vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. So my friends, let's have a vote. I have two points to make about this book. Um, the first is that, obviously, Fight Club is one of the more popular movies in the past few decades, I think. And I think that while it's very faithful to the book, it's a bit of a diluted version of it, like I said earlier. And I think that the book is stronger and darker, and it feels more plausible and realistic to me. Probably because I imagined it that way. So, my point is that this is the best form of the story. This is the best version of the story that I really loved, and it's loved by a lot of people. And I think everyone who loved the movie should give this a go, and I think everyone who heard about the movie and always wanted to watch it should give the book a go first. Do you think it will be easy for someone who hasn't watched the movie to, to start with the book? That's such a great question. I, I, I so. wish I would have gone that way. I, I wish I would have started with the book and then gone to the movie. I can't change the past, but I think, yeah, I think it will be a good way to do it. I think the first few chapters are quite short and pithy, so... I think that, that that might help them. Yeah, out. it's a good entry point. You know, the first few chapters. Once you're in, once you get past them, you're in. And my second point is that not only did I really enjoy this book, but now I'll have you know a few more chances to be annoyingly pretentious about it because now, whenever anyone will mention Fight Club, even if they're not speaking directly to me, <laughs> I can drop in on the conversation and say, "Oh, oh the movie, yeah, it's not bad, but I prefer the book." <laughs> Pretentious points. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I pretty much made my point. Uh, but yeah, I think I think it has some really interesting ideas, and and I and there are a lot of references to to the movie in in a lot of other pop culture pieces. So it's yeah. definitely interesting. Peter. Yeah, um, I think I've made myself pretty clear. <laughs> I'm I'm totally a fan of this. It's like there's nothing quite like it, you know? Even other Chuck Palahniuk books, they all do something different. He doesn't really repeat himself. And this one just happened to sort of have the most cultural relevance for the most people, hmm. yet it's still not catering to the lowest common de- denominator. There's, there's still like a mindset you have to get into. Yeah, I, I totally love it. I'll vote first. I, I think it's one of the easier tip of the hats that I have ever given out because I feel like it could fit right in with the rest of our Quake members so far. And it's just one of the books that I can easily say it's close to a perfect book to me. Yeah, I'm giving it the tip of my hat. This is this is one of the easier ones as well. Barrio? Yeah, same. Tip of the hat. Tip of the hat. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, I'm glad to say that Fight Club by Chuck Polonek from 1996, the book, not the movie, is a member of a very prestigious Culture Quest Essentials Guide. <laughs> that felt like we were actively dissuading the book. <laughs> I meant the, the movie. That's but, totally not uh, what I meant to do, but that's how it came out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one, um, I actually had the most trouble selecting something for this um, Fortnite's 
Coach Quest? Yeah, you had a lot of ideas. I did. I had a comic book which was sort of passively recommended to me about two years ago and I hadn't got to. The the reason I didn't really go for it in the end was I I never really felt like it was a cultural gap. Mm. Like I just I never really felt the desire to do it, but I thought it could be something cool. But I, I felt like I, I I definitely do want to do things that I wouldn't normally do, even if they aren't gaps, like almost creating gaps for myself. But <laughs> I still felt like we'd done some pretty major things with Fight Club and some of the Steven Spielberg movies lately. And I wanted to do another big thing. And it just the some of the ideas I was throwing around were sort of small things and I wanted to go for something big. So I haven't run it past anyone, so I'm hoping at, at least uh, only one of you have seen it, <laughs> if, you, if you guys have seen it. But this movie is directed by Robert Zemeckis. Um, and it's a 1994 American comedy drama film. And um, it's based on a book um, from about uh, almost 10 years prior. Mm-hmm. And it is Forrest Gump oh. with Tom Hanks. Have you guys seen it? Um, yeah, I did. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> Have you seen it or not? I saw it when I was very young. And I basically, like, I don't remember a lot from it. And I always wanted to watch it again and dig deeper into it and kind of see what it has to offer from, you know, an adult perspective. Because I saw it, I don't know, when I was probably watching it when I was like eight. So I didn't get it too well. I'll take it. Yeah, I I, (laughs) I definitely want to watch this movie again. I I definitely planned to watch it again. And it's supposed to be, you know, like definitely a classic, a huge classic. Yeah, it's something I feel like. People just bring up casually, like I'm meant to know it and I don't know it. And also, anytime I watch a film with Tom Hanks, I really like Tom Hanks, but I almost feel like I'm missing something, like as if like some people just know the story of Tom Hanks, whereas I never got the origin story of him. I mean, this is arguably his origin story, this movie. And it just it just feels like I've seen him in, I think, the movie Sully. Um, and I just loved him in that, but I feel like, I feel like people are like watching that going, oh, wow, Tom Hanks still good, but I'm watching him going, oh, this guy's a cool actor. I don't know what he's done, but he's, you know, he's great. So I feel like I want to get that experience of what everyone else can, um, sort of relate with. So yeah, this is, this is a big gap for me. This one just feels like it's just staring me in the face. Yeah, a bit. Yeah. Barra, what, what do you think of the movie? Well, what's what what was your experience with the movie? We should probably save that for the next session. But I loved it. I, have you watched <laughs> it recently, or uh... I watched it a couple of times, but I think last time is uh, was about six or seven years ago. Okay, cool. Okay, so uh, before we go, I just wanted to thank Dan from the Assorted Goods podcast and Leon from the One Good Question podcast. Both are members of the All the People Network. Um, for recording this episode's intro bit. They've done an awesome job with it, and I always love having our friends appear on the show. Uh, Both of their podcasts are really funny, really interesting, and links to both of them will be in the show notes. Go check them out. And so, thank you, Peter, and thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See ya. The Culture Quest Podcast is part of All the People Network. Visit our website at culturequestpodcast.com to contact us or see a list of our upcoming episodes. Follow us on Twitter at CQ underline podcast and tell your friends about us. 
Find out more information about All The People Network and the other podcasts it includes at allthepeoplenetwork.com. <laughs> What's that voice, Barrio? Well, <laughs> I, I'm not sure if we heard the same audiobook, but whenever he does Tyler, he kind of does like this half whisper. Mine was definitely different. But really? Yeah. Obsessed with UFOs and extraterrestrials? Convinced there's a chupacabra in your backyard? Is your doppelganger ruining your life? Do you love all things haunting related? If you answered yes to any, or none of these, then these are the mostly sensical, slightly drunken ramblings for you? Question mark? I'm Emily. And I'm Joel. And we're the hosts of Drink Drunk Dead. Join us, our two cats, Emma and Otto, and our house ghost, every week as we have a few drinks and discuss all things paranormal. And, and raise, raise a, a toast, toast to, to our, our ghosts. ghosts.